Thank you for joining me today as we finish the seven P's of Christmas. We've been talking about the timelessness of Christmas and I'm going to tell you it's really been exciting to see people respond to part one of this message concerning the Megdali Dar and the Christmas story, how that really Jesus was born in a cave, a primitive setting for the King of Kings. And not only that, wrapped in swaddling clothes, the perfect clothes as Jesus was pictured as the Passover lamb, the, the one that to be born in Bethlehem and to be wrapped up exactly as the Bible would describe how they would do a Passover lamb. But you know, today we're going to look at some other things that are so interesting. We looked already at the prophecies and how it's just incredible that God would bring about such a wonderful plan for our salvation. The genealogy, the parents, when you see this part of the story, it's perfect how God has set this up. I know you're going to enjoy it, but I want you to keep this in mind. You see, when he was born in the cave, wrapped in swaddling clothes, he was born to die. Yeah, swaddling clothes only used for two things, Passover lambs and those that were dead. And so here's Mary wrapping up this perfect son of God, her little baby, perfect as the Passover lamb and certainly born to die. But I want you to know this, that while he came the first time, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. But when it comes the second time, he's going to be dressed in the royal robes of a king. He's the king of kings. And today, join me as we finish the timelessness of Christmas and the seven Ps. Again, I want to refer back to the, the story that we did on Christmas is Unique and the and the Megdali Dar and, and the, the cave. But we want to mention just a little bit of this because the Megdali Dar, the Tower of the Flock, remember the tower, well, it was a multi-story uh, structure. And these stones that it's made of, remember, they were dug out from the cave below there. And so the shepherd would live in the tower and he would have a great perspective. He could look and see if there was a, a, a robber coming, a bandit coming, or a, a wild animal coming to, to devour the sheep. But the sheep themselves, they would live down here in the cave that was constructed as you take out each block to make the tower or a house or a hotel, whatever you're building. You simply dig out the stones, build them on top. Now you have your structure, but underneath you'd have a place for the animals to be. And of course, the shepherd, well, he would put his sheep there. But the shepherds, remember, that's who the story was announced to. And the shepherds in Bethlehem were, were quite unique. They were unique for this reason. They were called Levitical shepherds. In other words, Jerusalem, which required so many Levitical lambs, there's no way that a city as big as Jerusalem could produce as many lambs as would be needed for the Passover. And so Bethlehem, be it a, a few miles away, let's say five miles away from Jerusalem in those days, about three miles, two or three miles today as, as both Bethlehem and Jerusalem have grown, well, they would go to the hillside of Bethlehem and that's where they would have the Passover lambs that they could groom and, and have them born. Bethlehem was always a place for shepherds. Remember David. David was a shepherd and he was from Bethlehem. And so in these Levitical uh, shepherds, they were grooming lambs particularly for the Passover. And the thing that was so important about this is that they would put these sheep when they were born, the lambs, they would put them into the cave below there. But the shepherds would take the newborn lambs and they would wrap them up. Matter of fact, when they wrapped them up, they, were, they would be wrapped up in what's called swaddling clothes. And that's why it was such a, a shock to these shepherds when the angels came and said, go, and you're going to find a baby 
and the baby is going to be in the manger wrapped in swaddling clothes because you see they were used to seeing a lamb but I want to remind you that really Jesus was the lamb John says John the baptizer says in in the gospel of John chapter 1 behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and so this was because they were destined to be temple sacrifice and that would be just three to six miles away many lambs needed for Jerusalem they couldn't provide enough so they would go to Bethlehem where they would groom and, and have these little lambs born and wrapped up but the lambs must be without blemish or spot so the shepherds would wrap them in swaddling clothes to protect them two times swaddling clothes were used one to wrap up Passover lambs and one is to wrap up people that died and so when they looked there they couldn't believe it because the shepherds saying wow this mother is here in a cave I think it was a cave not a, a fantastic church if you go to Israel you might see a, a fantastic church and there's so much holy hardware there gold lanterns and silver lanterns sent by all the kings and but you know what you'll be disappointed of that but if you go downstairs you'll see a cave and remember in those caves well there would be sharp edges there'd be there'd be rough spots and these little lambs as the whole uh, flock of sheep would get in there they would push the little lambs against the the sharp stones and so they had to be wrapped in swaddling clothes to make sure that they didn't get a nick on their leg or a nick on their ear and so that's why it was so unique. The shepherd said, what mother would put a newborn baby and put it in sheep's clothes? Well, he was the Lamb of God. And what mother, they were thinking, would, would put a, a baby in clothes that you used to wrap dead people? Well, he was born to die. And so again, we see the, the plan and the pattern and the prophecy and the place, all of them lined up with God, perfect sense with what God had in mind. And then we come to the parents. Well, this is such a, a wonderful part of the Christmas story. And all the way back in the, in the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, um, if we had time, we could really learn some special things about his overall ministry and what he was hoping to do. But it's interesting because when you go back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, He said to me, Hear ye now, O house of David. See, he's already prepared the way. O house of David. Remember, those are the ones that would be born in Bethlehem in the house of David. And then he says this, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Now when God gives a sign, it's pretty important. You see, we look at signs because we want to learn where the sale is or we want to learn where the restaurant is. But when God gives a sign, he says this, behold, the virgin shall conceive. Wow. Bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so the parents were special parents and it's important because, you see, God did this. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we saw the word, it would be her seed. Not the man's seed, that would be the normal way, but her seed, indicating that God had a special plan. And that special plan was that the ruler, the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, would be virgin born. My friend, that's an important part of the gospel. Because, you see, if he was born of Joseph and Mary, then he would have a sin nature like we have. But he wasn't. He was born of the Holy Spirit in Mary. And so he had no sin nature. In Isaiah chapter 9, it goes on to say that it would be a Jew. The Messiah would be a Jew. In Psalm 89, we're going to look at more details of that a little later, it said not just a Jew, but it would be in the line of David. And in Isaiah chapter 7, it would say it would come as a virgin. Wow. Do you see how the family tree was something very special that God had lined up? 
Now let's talk a little bit about the, the family tree because I think that this is a, a really important point. It's interesting because in the Old Testament, there's dozens of genealogies. Matter of fact, you go to the book of Numbers and there's some at the beginning of the book, there's some at the end. You go to the book of, of Samuel, you go to the book of Kings, you go to Chronicles, and, and you find dozens of genealogies. But when you come to the New Testament, it's quite a contrast. There's only a genealogy for one person. It's written two times. And that genealogy is from none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So what a contrast between the Old Testament and the New. Secondly, I think it's interesting that, that one of those times is in Matthew, and the other time is in Luke, Luke chapter 3. Now, why would this be important? Well, here's what I think the, the Word of God and the Spirit of God is telling us. You see, when you look at Matthew, what's interesting is Matthew writes of Jesus as a king. You want to know the, the, the uh, heritage of a king, don't you? You want to know his genealogy. That's important. But when you come to Mark's gospel, Mark presents him as the servant. Who cares about the genealogy of a servant? And so Mark doesn't mention the genealogy. Then you come to Luke. Luke writes of Jesus as the son of man, as an important man, an important teacher. And Luke being a doctor, you might know that in his gospel, he would include something concerning uh, the birth of Christ. And then you come to John's gospel. John writes of Jesus as being the Son of God. And how does he start the book of John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes all the way back to the beginning and shows that Jesus and God are equal in their power, their authority, their godness, and that Jesus was eternal. He, he didn't just show up in, in Bethlehem as the first time. He was with God all the way back at the beginning. And so I love the fact that the family tree for us in the New Testament, tracing only the lineage of Jesus, comes to us in Matthew and comes to us in, in Luke. Now what's interesting in Matthew is he's going to deal with the legal, while in Luke it's going to be the lineal. And in Matthew it's going to be the royal line. It's going to be the line through Solomon. And in Luke 3 it's going to be the bloodline. It's going to be through Nathan. You see, God has a very special purpose for doing this. We're going to look at this. Matthew, he talks about the adopted father, Joseph. And Luke, he talks about the real mother, Mary. Now, why would that be important? Well, it really is important because, you see, when you go back, and, and we're going to do this, if you have your Bible, go with me to, to Matthew's Gospel. Because in Matthew's Gospel, what it's going to do, it says we're looking for a king. Remember, we saw in, in the step down that God had, he said it's going to be a Jew. It's going to be the house of David. It's going to be virgin born. So in Psalm 89, he's talking about how that this Messiah must come from the lineage of David. And so we're looking for a king that will come out of the lineage of David. But both Mary and Joseph were the house of David. That's why they left Nazareth where they were living and they went to Bethlehem and the birth occurred at just the right time. See God's planning? It's incredible, isn't it? And so when you go to the Gospel of Matthew and you begin to look at this genealogy that there, and you come to, to chapter 1 and verse 7, it looks very similar to the one in, in Luke chapter 3, but in verse 7 it says, and Solomon. So it traces down Solomon. And so this would include Solomon. But now, notice this, that here in verse 11, it talks about Jeconiah. Now, I, I'm going to do this because you see, in this genealogy in Matthew, he traces through Solomon. 
If you go, keep your finger there in Matthew chapter 1. I know that this may be a little technical for, for some of you, but bear with me because I think it's going to be worth our while. Now we want to go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. And as you trace down the people, one by one by one, you will find that they're identical until you come to verse 31. And then it says this, now the son of Nathan. So David has more than one child. One of those was Solomon. That was the royal line. One of those is Nathan. But in Matthew's gospel, it even says that there was a man by the name of Jeconiah, and a curse was put on him so that he would not have a ruler that would, that would rule from the throne of David. That's the lineage through Solomon to Joseph. If Joseph would have been the real father, he could not have had Jesus become the Messiah of the world. But if you go through Nathan, Nathan's line is clear, and that's Mary's line. You see how important the virgin birth is? Wow. God's plan, bringing about prophecies, bringing about parents, it's perfect, isn't it? Through both mother and father, he has the house of David. But his father's line, his stepfather's line, was cursed because of the deed of Jeconiah. The story is found in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30, if you want to check it out. But through Nathan, that line was clear. And that's Mary, and Mary's his real mother, but Joseph was his stepfather. You see how carefully God planned this out? That's why I say this is a timeless story. This is an incredible story. It's a story that, that the more you think about it, the, the more incredible it is, and the more I praise God for, for Christmas. Not just the season that we celebrate so, I'm going to say, secularly today, but the season that we can celebrate every day of the year. There, there's no reason for us just to celebrate Christmas at, at one particular time. And so he made a promise to David, and he said, Thy seed will I will establish. But he avoids the curse that was in Jeremiah chapter 22. Why? Because the real mother was not under the curse. The real mother was out of the, out of the seed of David, but through Nathan, exactly as God had planned. Well, here's another P, the presence. You know, I want to read just a, a little verse from Matthew chapter 2 because here's one of the things that I really enjoyed this year. It says in chapter 2, verse 11, remember the, the kings were coming from the east. And when they came, it says this, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Notice, they fell down, they worshipped him. They didn't worship Mary. And they opened their treasures, and they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, what I like about this is that it was gifts, but not just gifts, they were treasures. You see, I know because there's three gifts or gift types, we, we say, well, there must have been three wise men. Probably not. Matter of fact, probably 10 to 30 would not be uncommon. And these were people that would have come in a caravan and they would have had a, they would have been people that had studied the stars, no doubt, in the heavens. They were people that were wealthy and they went on quite a journey and, and that'll be a, a message for another time. But, but they brought treasures. And so I think that several of them went together and they, they brought a treasure of gold and so on like that. So what are the, the treasures that they gave? Well, one was gold. And gold is suitable for a king. You know what it was saying? It was saying that Jesus would be king. As these learned men found this baby, who already they, they told Herod, 
there's a king born and, and we're going to search for this king. And, and they were essentially saying that he is the king. And so they gave him a, a suitable treasure and that suitable treasure was gold because he would be the king. Not just then only, but later as well. And then another one of the treasures was frankincense. And frankincense is suitable for a priest. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Jesus is also our priest. He's a king and he's a priest. The book of Hebrews emphasizes the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And then the third treasure was myrrh. And that's suitable for a prophet. Matter of fact, what is interesting to me is all three of these were, were given because they speak particularly of how Jesus would be royalty. He would be a king, he would be a priest, and he would be a prophet. But it's interesting because the book of Isaiah, and another occasion, it speaks of how that Jesus, when he comes as a king and a priest, they will give to him those gifts, those treasures of gold and frankincense, but not myrrh. Because, you see, he will fulfill all the prophecies. He, he will not be known as the prophet in those days because he will be there in person as the king and as the priest. How wonderfully constructed the Word of God is. How beautifully narrated the, the Bible is. It's inspired by God, perfect in its entirety. And so the presents were quite unique. And then here's one, the purpose. Well, God had a, a distinct purpose. And... I want to use just two scriptures. There's others we could use, but Galatians chapter 3 is an interesting one. Verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Notice this, the, the curse of the law. Why the curse of the law? The law was perfect, but it cursed us because we broke the law. Be made a curse for us. See the substitutionary part of it? For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so Jesus came, and it was interesting because he came to, to redeem us, but in order to redeem us, he had to bear the curse, the curse of the law. Now, how did that fulfill what the Bible would say? Well, here's what it says all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21. His body should not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hung is accursed of God. Wow. You see, remember the story? They came and they were amazed because Jesus had already died. And the body was begged by Joseph of Arimathea. And they took it down that very day because it was a high holy day. Another story we'll have to examine sometime. They took it down that very day. They put it into a, a, a grave, a borrowed grave, a borrowed tomb. Why? Because it would fulfill, then he would fulfill the curse and the law in Deuteronomy 21. What a, what a job God did in making this Christmas story so incredible. God's law would be fulfilled. God would be satisfied. His righteousness would be satisfied. I think the purpose is also explained in a verse that we sometimes look at at Christmas time, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And then it says, For unto you. Two things I notice here. One is that, that God is going to bring about a, a wonderful Savior to all people. And that Savior is, is going to be, first of all, worldwide. And then it's also going to be one that is personally for us. All right, And then let's go to one more P. And this is the personal. It's, it's wonderful. And here's why I say it's wonderful. Because you see, the personal, here's what the Bible says. 
Second Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read that, that little story, a little verse, because it's so important. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, it says this, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Now, when we think about a gift, there's really, I think, four things that are important. One of those is this. What is it? You know, there's some gifts, and, and uh, you're not interested in the gift at all. I see a lot of commercials, and they talk about how great this is and how wonderful this is. And, wow, you know, I, I look at that and say, I, I don't even, I, if you gave it to me, I don't want it. I don't want a, a robot vacuum machine. I'm, I'm sure they're probably nice, but i just not interested in one. And, and I look at all the other gifts, and I probably at my stage in life don't need a PlayStation. And, and uh, wow, it's, you know, what is the gift? So that's one of the important things. Next, who is it from? You know, if, if a gift is from a, a valued friend or from an important person, then you're really interested in, in, in how they can be used. And so, so I, I think that we look at these things and we say, yep, what is it? Next, who is it from? Can you imagine getting a gift to God? I mean, to get a gift from God, that, that would have to be a, a wonderful, amazing gift, wouldn't it? And so then the next thing would be this, who is it to? You see, maybe the, the gift is a new car, but the new car, it's to your neighbor. And so you say, wow, I, I really like the gift. It's a car. I really like it through it's from. It's from the, 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 a, a friend. But if it's not to you, well, you're not near as interested in the gift. But there's a third point. And the fourth point, I mean, I should say there's a fourth point. And the fourth point is this. Have you ever received the gift? You see, here's what God did. God, at Christmas, gave to us his son as a gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Let me tell you, the Christmas story shows the timelessness of the gospel. The Christmas story, it shows how God put together one of the most incredible things, the plan of it, the prophecies of it, the, the place of it, the parents, the, the purpose, all these things. But when it comes down to the important one, is this personal. And you see, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, then you know what? Then you really are going to miss Christmas. Because Christmas is about God giving to you the gift of eternal life through His Son. You see, His Son is eternal life. And when we get Jesus Christ, then we have eternal life. Whatever God, you see, God is peace. And Jesus brings peace. And, and when you have Jesus as your Savior, then you have that peace. And, and Jesus said He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And so in order to enjoy this incredible Christmas, you know what you have to do? You have to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I hope you have, because otherwise Christmas will just be a, a shower of, of lights, a shower of gifts exchanged one to another, probably a, a, some wonderful food and meals. But the real meaning of Christmas is the timelessness of the promise of God to redeem us from the curse of the law. And Jesus goes to the cross, fulfills 33 predictions in one day against insurmountable odds that could never be any other way than by the design of God. And he brings it back to the fact that he gave to us a Savior for all the world and a Savior to you is born this day in the city of David. Have you received him? Have you received God's personal gift, which is Jesus Christ? That was more than just a baby that was born in Bethlehem. That baby was Emmanuel, God with us. That baby was the savior of the world. 
That baby would be the Messiah. That baby will be the King of Kings someday. And God the Father offers Jesus Christ to you as a gift this Christmas. I hope you've received him. I have. I'm on my way to heaven today because, first of all, I acknowledge that I was a sinner. Secondly, I acknowledge that, that Jesus had no sin of his own. He was virgin born, as we've seen today. He was born in a special place, in a special way, all at the plan of God. And thirdly, there came a time when I accepted Christ as the payment for my sin. Today, will you receive the gift, the unspeakable gift that God offers to you? If so, you know something? You'll have the greatest Christmas because you'll have the best thing that could ever be at Christmas, and that's to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Messiah, as your King of Kings. If you would like to ask a question of Dr. Linstead and or Bible Truth and Prophecy, please email us at the Bible Truth and Prophecy, or BTIP as we call it, email address. That's BibleTipNow at gmail.com. B-I-B-L-E-T-I-P-N-O-W at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.